Hey, really quick before we get started, please remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Feel free to check me out on my website, rhitch.com. I have a lot of great PDFs, white papers, past recordings of webinars, you name it, a lot of valuable information. And also please give this show a rating as I always appreciate your feedback. Hello and welcome back to the Financial Breakaway Podcast where I try to take confusing personal financial planning and investment related topics and try to break them down into plain English for the everyday person. My goal in these conversations is to help you break away from your personal financial confusion and end up on the right path to reaching your financial goals. I am Ryan Hitchcock, your host, and I am a financial planner with High Point Capital Group out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. All right, in this episode, I have another amazing guest, Roy Deach, founder and owner of Parts Badger, a local Milwaukee area company that was listed in Inc.'s magazine as the 525th fastest growing private company in the country in 2021. So an amazing feat. Now, if you're in manufacturing and you wanted to get a part manufactured, first, you had to get that part quoted. And only a few years back, it took weeks to get a part quoted, let alone manufacture. But now that process is instantaneous at Parts Badger, Roy's company, all thanks to automation. Roy and his team at Parts Badger, they saw this process as an opportunity and created an online machine shop for quoting and manufacturing parts. They designed and created what they call an instant quote system with the goal of making machining quotes available right away to anyone on the internet. It's an amazing idea. They built this proprietary automation process to take the vast variety of parts available in the machining world that change constantly as well, by the way, and create an adaptable quoting system that has led them to become one of the lowest cost machine parts provider in the world. Parts Badger then offers a number of different machining methods to actually make the part using robotics and even 3D printing as well. Now, this is all great and we talk a lot about that, but I also wanted to pick his brain on this uh, robotics and automation industry as a whole. We talk about how they work together, those two concepts, how the industry is moving from not just efficient, but responsive as well. And Roy shares his insights on that. I also picked his brain on what his view on the future of the traditional machine shops are. We talk about collaborative robotics, industry 4.0, and much, much more. So there'll be a lot for you to enjoy in this episode. Now, everything said in this episode is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions alone. All statements regarding companies made are strictly beliefs of myself or Roy and not a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any securities. Now, myself or Roy may or may not maintain positions in securities discussed. All right, so let's get into it. All right, welcome to our next episode on this theme of thematic investing. We're going to talk about robotics and automation today. I'm super excited. I have an amazing guest with us today, Roy Deach. Welcome. How are you? Can you hear me okay? Doing great. Happy to be here. Thanks, Ryan. Did I say that correctly, your last name? You got it. All right. Well, well, great. It's, uh, it's awesome to hear, um, to have you here. I'm excited to learn from you. 
Um, but before I kind of turn it over to you here, Roy, let me just take a step back, remind people, you know, why I have you here. And, and that's just, again, on this theme of thematic investing, what that is, is just focused investing on certain topics, certain industries, it could be on geography. Um, and in our case, I'm taking certain industries that I like that I, I think are going to be growing exponentially, you know, possibly better, I should always say, than just the general market in the next, uh, you know, near term to longer term. And automation and robotics is definitely one of those that I think is going to continue to grow. So um, that's why I have you here today. And graciously um, accepted to come on and talk about it, to learn about it from someone who's on the inside of that world, in that industry, because in my world of investments, we're always looking at the high level. And, and in, even in today's day in thematic investing, it's, it's only on the high level. It's just that buzzword, but no one's really looking underneath on what's going on. So that's why, you know, again, why I have you here today is really just talk about from your view, what's really going on. You have an amazing company called Parts Badger. Um, that is one of the fastest growing companies I saw um, in the country right now. What, what were you, 525 on the list right now? Yeah, yeah, 525 in the nation uh, for fastest growing companies. I believe we were number eight in Wisconsin and number 23 in manufacturing. So very, yeah. very honored to be part of that list. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, congratulations. So, so let me just throw a couple facts. I looked at this report before I before I turn it over to you. I like to just kind of spit out some facts, spew them out, really. And then maybe we can reference back to them. So this has to do with a little bit of a, a robotics too and automation. But as I'm guessing, you'll explain to us how they kind of interconnect. But I looked at a a report from this uh, uh, reporting company called Mordor Intelligence. They did a global robotics and automation market report that looked at 2021 to 2026. Um, and and this report specifically says the industry is going through basically a new industrial revolution with the development of new technologies. Um, and these technologies allow companies to use robotics and automation to increase efficiency, streamline processes, eliminate errors, um, improve production capabilities, and increase workplace safety, which I thought was interesting. Um, the robotics market specifically was valued at $27 billion in 2020. And it's expected to reach 74 billion in 2026. So that itself is over a 17% compounded annual growth rate from 2021 to 2026. Um, you know, we have big end users like uh, autumn, I'm sorry, auto dealers, you have um, food and beverage, medical devices. Um, it mentions this study mentioned that it's driven by uh, artificial intelligence too, gains in artificial intelligence, energy storage, engineering, machine learning. Um, and also that there is this skill shortage out there that is leading companies to adopt robotics and automation as well. So um, I'm loving, I'm going to love to hear your thoughts on some of that stuff. Um, so we'll come back to it. So thanks for hearing me out on that. But I want to just before we get into that, turn it over to you. Um, why don't you introduce yourself, explain to us kind of your background and a little bit about your company, Parts Badger. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks again for having me on, Ryan. Really, uh, really appreciate being able to uh, share a little bit about our story yeah. and, and some of the insights I have, at least from, from my perspective, sort of boots on the ground here in the industry. Perfect. Um, so my background, uh, starting all the way from, from undergrad, I love economics. Uh, I thought I would go into academia. Uh, I prepped for that, and uh, I, I had just an absolute passion for, for economics, which, which later blended into this idea for Parts Badger. Uh, but I ended up having 
an offer uh, before going off to grad school that I just couldn't turn down. And it was an opportunity to be part of a growing company in the video industry at the time that like blended video with motorsports. And that's kind of where I cut my teeth in business. Unfortunately, uh, economics is a social science uh, <laughs> in the school I went to. So I had none of the business foundation courses. Oh, right, gotcha. <laughs> so yeah, uh, from a business perspective, I really, uh, I did everything wrong for about eight years um, and learned everything the hard way. Um, Sometimes that's and, the best learning, right? Yeah, right. Uh, and, and eventually I started uh, uh, making a, a little bit less mistakes um, and, and learning a little bit uh, more from the mistakes I was making and, and kind of solidified uh, the knowledge uh, I had learned the hard way. And, and I went back at my MBA um, really started to understand fundamentally how I could blend some of the things I've learned from economics and what I've learned in business and kind of compound, compounded with uh, the knowledge I gained in the MBA to, to form like good, robust businesses. And I kind of went out on my own in 2014 and started a video company, uh, this time in aviation, specifically creating systems for uh, flight tour helicopters. Okay. And, and building up that, uh, that market, developing products. Um, and one of the pieces where I learned, which I'll get into with automation, is the difference between efficient supply chains and responsive supply chains. And in that industry, we really needed to be responsive all the way around. And okay. we could get our circuit boards fast. We could develop software fast. We could integrate systems fast. We couldn't get our enclosures fast. So at the time we were getting like these extruded enclosures and we wanted to move to a machined enclosure. And so an enclosure for your, your video, you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. For the electronics. So okay. just basically gotcha. a box, right? So really? the yeah, box yeah. that the electronics so, fit into, Sure. but um, this, this silly box uh, really held up the development of our products and really limited the design. And I thought uh, at the time that machining would be a little bit more responsive. So I designed our first machined enclosure and sent that out for quote. And it took about a week. I got responses uh, from three uh, individual companies and I had originally sent it to 12. Oh my gosh. Um, and this <laughs> yeah. wasn't that long. This was, you said 2016 or? or yeah, that was 2016. That, yeah, by the time we, we okay. came there. And so I got responses from three of the 12. It took about a week to get those responses. Two of out of those three said their software is too old and they couldn't open the file. <laughs> and and the only company that quoted us, it was cheaper for us to buy a CNC machine and make the parts ourselves. Oh my gosh. Um, so the process was broken. The process was broken, yeah. And and that's where the idea for Parts Badger really, really sparked. And what I saw there was there is a problem with the cost of information. Like it shouldn't be this hard to buy something. Right. Yeah. I, I get if it's hard to source something and make something, but this is even buying it, getting it quoted. Why is it so hard to get a price? That? Yeah, exactly. So that's when I said, okay, there's an opportunity here. And because I prep for, for economics uh, at the graduate level, it's tons of math. So I have this yeah. math background at that time, I gained a little programming experience and we basically okay. hacked, hacked a plugin on a website and tested this idea of what if we made it so you could buy machine parts right online and you just upload the file, we take some basic parameters, we quote it close enough and let's see if, if we were onto something, right? 
Okay. Um, so you're saying you use some of your math background to kind of build this al algorithm? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Say? And that, that kind of was the heart of Parts Badger. You know, okay. we started as an online machine shop and it was kind of that idea and, and that experience that kicked off the, the whole idea. Very cool. That's very cool. So, I mean, very common story in business where there was a hole um, or a problem that you found just trying to do something in your other business to where you now became a business of its own. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. So, so very cool. So, um, so where are you guys now? Yeah. So both, both companies are still around. Oh, both. Um, okay. Yeah. So the, the video company is, is actually in the, the center of, of parts badger physically <laughs> located. Um, and it's, it's doing great. Um, we, we have a great team over there running that company, but there's, we sell specifically to helicopters. There's only so many helicopters in the world. Um, wow. So we end up uh, in a very small market. Um, so Parts Badger is a much larger company now. Um, we're running close to around a $20 million run rate uh, right nice. now. Um, we've been doubling pretty much every year um, since we've started. Um, we have about 40... 45 employees uh, in the United States. And then we have uh, a pretty significant team abroad as well. Nice. Well, congratulations on your success so far. So uh, just run me through where you're at now. So you said 2016, that wasn't that long ago. Um, what is attributed to this major growth? That's a good amount of employees. And, and like you said, run rates and, um, you know, like we said, we're on the fastest growing list already. So what, what has attributed to that? Where, where are you really finding success? Uh, number one, I think is just the audacity of the idea. And, and I mean, we targeted, we wanted to be uh 10 million run rate within two years. So okay. when we formed the company off of this idea, we, we knew it could be big. Um, and we, we were taking big swings right out of the gate. So okay. we're deciding to grow the company, you know, we weren't looking at, okay, how do we get the next sale? How do we get the next 10 sales? We were like, all right, how do we get 10 million in sales? Right. Okay. So everything yeah. we're building out needs to support that. How do we manufacture at the scale we need to? So we really uh, just were incredibly audacious with goals right out of the gate. And, and the other piece, I think automating that quoting process was a, was a game changer uh, for the market. Um, even today, there's, there's only a couple of companies that have technology that can do that accurately. And we're, we're making waves in the market because that yeah, that, that information well, is just so important. Yeah. So, so explain that part to us a little bit more, this automation part to it. Um, cause I've read, you know, on your website and you, you're saying now you're, you're making ways in the industry year you've, you've almost created, if not, you have the lowest cost to kind of quoting, um, or getting machine parts made. Is that correct? Or, or maybe I'm yeah. not wording that correctly, but fill, fill us yeah. in on that process. Absolutely. I mean, from the, the quoting perspective, it's an incredibly time-intensive manual process right now, and it, it's difficult to automate. And, and one of the reasons that is, is there's so much variety. So you need to be able to automate something that changes every single time something comes in. Um, and I think that that's going to be kind of the context of why this industry is set to expand at a much larger rate. It's a shift from efficient automation which we've been doing these since 70s, 80s, probably before yeah. I was born, we've had robots in factories, right? Yeah, that's not a new thing, correct. Yeah, but they used to all do the same thing 100,000 times or a million times. Yeah. Now we're getting to the point where 
the automation is responsive. Um, okay. And that's, that's why uh, this is such, such an uh, increase today. Um, and it's capable of so much more and, and automation, obviously labor pressures and things like that are accelerating it, but we're applying automation to things that can be a lot more responsive and a lot more on demand. Okay. And changing, changing that is, uh, is what's really driving this. So from the quoting perspective, I mean, we have to quote all sorts of parts that come in and the algorithm has to be responsive enough to handle that, whether it's quantity one or a hundred or 10,000 we have to quote that accurately, whether it's a milled part or turn part. Um, so it's, it's kind of an intensive process, but once you do that, you can eliminate not only a significant amount of labor, which adds to overhead and cost, but you can make that so much more responsive rather than customers waiting three, five, seven days quote, they can get that information instantly. And that really helps accelerate development within organizations. I see. So, yeah, that's amazing. So you were you were going from back when you start, you know, 2016 when you started. Before you started this, you didn't even get a response for about a week or so. Now you've automated this quoting process, and you call it what do you, what do you call it? The rapid quote process. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. So so we have instant quote, rapid instant quote. quote. So okay. Yeah, we we have a couple other keywords we we put out there, <laughs> but it's all run by the same algorithm behind I the see. scenes. And then that supports um, machining, all different types of machining processes, as well as 3D printing. We have algorithms for that and, and now sheet metal as well that we're adding okay. into the fold. Um, so really getting all of these manufacturing processes and getting them into one area where you just stick the file in, you get pricing. I mean, it just helps the engineers, the purchasing people. Because at the end of the day, I mean, it shouldn't be hard to buy something, right? Correct. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's that's amazing. So you're getting a response to them within a day or how long does it take to actually get a response now with this automation process? Yeah. Well, you can buy a part right online, so you can get pricing yep. instantly. Um, okay. But uh, a lot of times it reviews, uh, it kind of goes through a more traditional sales process because uh, purchasing people for the most part, they don't have the type of knowledge an engineer would have where they can select the exact material or attribute of the part. So we do have a team of design engineers, but rather than quoting they're going in and, and just making sure specifications line up. So making sure that, you know, we can support unique materials and that that's being input correctly. And we're making sure we're getting all the parameters because there's so many different industries we support. There's a lot of different ways you can engrave a part, different types of coatings. Sometimes those coatings need to go to uh, vendors that are approved for, you know, aerospace sometimes you know, it could be a more generic coding. So we have a design engineer team that, that kind of reviews everything that comes in through the portal and they can do confirmations on, on the more difficult things. Um, that's, that's the route that's most likely chosen okay. by our customers. And that has a few hour turnaround. Um, otherwise you could just go online and, and order the part online on your own. Okay. Very, very, very cool. Um, so, you know, I'm always just kind of curious from, you know, from my side of, of like I was saying at the beginning of, um, there's a lot of talk about automation and, and just robotics. W what do you think of that? And then like relating it to your world, is there a disconnect from people like, you know, like retail investors to investing in automation or, or what? I'm just curious what your first thoughts are on that. Yeah. So automation, I mean, philosophically, automation is, you know, systemizing something and, and making it repeatable. Um, so from the automation aspect, there's a lot of processes that can be automated. 
Um, and definitely anytime you can allow that to be responsive while also reducing the amount of labor input. Because when you automate something, typically it's repetitive. You know, it's something where there's not a lot of mental value add if it can be programmed into something. So um, automating that really, you're eliminating labor, that repetitive type labor, the non-value add type labor uh, that takes place. Now, robotics specifically, you're talking about physical movement. So okay. that's, that's a huge part of the process. So even though we're automating the quoting, you know, that's, that's uh, digital labor, I guess I would yeah, say people go sure. through that or mental labor, but then the, <laughs> the physical labor, as you start incorporating the robotics, I mean, all of these kind of come together. Um, so I, I, I kind of see it as one and the same as far as what the end goal is, right? The end goal is making processes that are responsive and efficient, and then really taking that mental density of somebody that's part of your team and, and adding value in the company, how do we take the type of decisions they make and the type of work that they're putting in to make that the highest value work possible, right? How do we eliminate all this repetitive stuff that doesn't add a ton of value? Yeah. And, yeah. You're not putting mental thought into that stuff. You want them to actually, you know, being useful and using their, their mental power, as you're saying, that makes exactly. sense. Exactly. And, and solve, solve the hard problems and, and really that density. So I see robotics as a really important piece um, in, in really increasing that density. So on that's, that's great insight. And just kind of on this, this theme here um, from your view, like you, you've disrupted your, your industry, like you've mentioned, is there still a lot of this automation or in, in robotics is kind of on our theme on thematic investing is, is there still a lot of that that needs to be taken or kind of taken place in the, in your industry that you see, is there still a lot of kind of bottlenecks or log jams that, that you guys run into? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think this goes back to that kind of efficient versus responsive and the transition we're seeing now. We live in a day and age of responsiveness, right? With, yeah. with Amazon and, and people, <laughs> want people now. change what they need. Yeah. 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 And and rapid iteration of everything, right? You need high mix, low volume, you know, people, you know, when they, when they make a product, they want that product to improve at the pace of technology and, you know, the days of making, you know, a million widgets, I I think are, are gone and being ultra responsive. So how do you take that automation piece and, and robotics and allow that to be responsive? And I see that's where the technology's heading specifically with um, tending the, the way that these robots are programmed now and with collaborative robots, robots that are designed to work around people because now they can safely be around people. They have sensors okay. built in them that, yeah. you know, if you get hit by a cobot, you're, you're not going to get severely injured where, <laughs> you know, traditional automation, they have cages around those things for a reason. You know, sure. they have no idea there's going to be a human in the way. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the older robot, that's a, that's a great term that most people probably don't even know about. So, you know, on a, on a factory floor, just anywhere in the world, people are working next to robotics and automation at the same time. And they're doing that safer today. A cobot. Yeah. yeah collaborative <laughs> robotics. Yeah. They're really okay. easy to program now. I mean, the technology has gotten to a point, the sensors have gotten to the point that you can, you can swap out jobs multiple times a day and, and change up what that robot's doing. Uh, with some fairly basic training, and that used to not be the case. So when you think about the, the the segment of actual manufacturing that can now be accessed by robotics and actually be automated and and help, 
it really opened up now that it's a lot more responsive. And I think it fits in with uh, what the industry really needs and, and what consumers need at the end of the day. Nice. So uh, is the traditional outside of, or the traditional like manufacturers outside of like the big Amazons of, or they're not a manufacturer, but they're logistics and they have a ton of robots, but like, just, you know, they go hand in hand on some of the, what I'm trying to ask is some of these older companies, are they still in the past of some of these old automation processes and still need to kind of catch up or, or where are they at as an industry in a whole, would you say? Yeah. I mean, uh, back again to efficient versus responsive. So there are some very large companies that are very efficient. It's very hard to compete with them, even if they're, you know, a, a dinosaur in terms of company years. You know, they've been around yeah. a long time. I, I mean, they get that way for a reason, and they have these these inherent built-in efficiencies and and yeah. things that they've built up. Uh, the the big question is, are they going to have to change, and how quickly are they going to have to change, and you know, I, I kind of see them sticking around for a while and, and being okay, unless, you know, there's a disruption and they, they have to change the way they do things. And, uh, you know, cars, for instance, right? So the idea yeah. of cars is you have a model refresh every seven years or five years or however long it is traditionally, is that going to change? You know, are you going to end up in a system where like, as cars are being manufactured, they're changing continuously? They go. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Tesla's, Tesla's playing with that a little bit. Um, okay. I don't think that's that's all the way there yet, but imagine how responsive you can be to consumers. You know, if you start changing your product consistently, and and yeah. you need the automation to be flexible in order to do that. And that's going to be another huge advantage um, for the companies that adopt that. I don't think that's a hundred percent there yet, but I, I think it will be soon. That's definitely on the horizon. That's that's interesting. Do you think um, do you think COVID the COVID world has pushed your industry further along? right now or this automation? Yeah. I mean, for us, we're, uh, we're, we're really capturing and delivering to a very traditional industry. It's pre-existing. We're just using things that give us a competitive advantage within it. So, I mean, still, we're still, um, serving a a traditional market demand that already exists. We have like 19,000 competitors, and none of them have the technology we use. So yeah. we're just able to quote better and faster and more efficiently. We have more capacity. We're able to manage it better. So, I mean, we're really responding to more traditional demand at this point. But eventually, that's that's going to start to change, especially with some of our other competitors that you yeah. see in the market now. You're kind of creating a space where the market's bifurcating between the haves and the have-nots. You know, the companies okay. that are responsive and the companies that aren't so responsive. And I think that's where you're going to start seeing market demand change. So there's going to actually be a segment of demand that's going to require this type of responsiveness and we'll be able to serve a market that otherwise um, wouldn't necessarily exist. We're going to create that market or at least be part of that. Interesting. That's, that's very cool. So um, yeah, 19,000 competitors. That's, that's, that's quite a bit. And, and how long would you say, I mean, it seems like it's, it's moving very fast in this, this kind of keep up or get out type of environment. Would, would yeah. you say, is it, is it moving really fast or, or you yeah, say, is this like I a mean, relatively thing? speaking? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think the industry hasn't had a whole lot of movement for a really long time. And, and now you have some things that are really uh, shaking it up. You know, there, there's not a lot of huge machine shops out there machining specifically. It's incredibly capital intensive. People have to specialize and, and because of that, they're really limited on, on how much they can grow. Um, 
you know, it's just difficult when these machines are so expensive to, to expand at, at a high rate. So there's kind of two tricks that are being used. And, and one right now is the quoting. How do you yeah. automate that, make, make that information as fluid as you can? Yeah, on the front end. Yeah. yeah, front end. And then you have back end, which is right now it's capacity aggregation. But I yeah. definitely see a whole nother future there, which, which we'll get into later in this conversation. But aggregating capacity allows us to um, take in an aerospace customer and an automotive customer and an automation customer and interconnect yeah. and medical and all of these, these different types of size and shape and requirements of these different parts and be able to provide them easily. You okay. know, it's really streamlining that that process as well. So you yeah. can kind of be that central point. Now you can be much larger than a traditional like specialized machine shop. Gotcha. Well, yeah, let's continue on, continue on that. Cause I mean, that's, that's the beauty of these conversations just kind of keep going where, where they're taking us. So, um, yeah. so are you saying that's, that's kind of where you see the future of this industry going that back end needs to still be kind of disrupted or automated yeah. a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of this phase one of it is is the quoting capacity aggregation. Phase two is actual manufacturing, which Protolabs, Protolabs is a public company. I think they were one of the largest in the market. Uh, they, they came up with this technology uh, to okay. automate the actual manufacturing process a while back. And I think they're, they're playing a little bit of catch up right now to some of the new players um, like us. I mean, obviously they're much bigger than us, but I think our yeah. technology on the coding side and some of the things we're doing there is a little bit more advanced, nice. but kind of that next phase is how do you automate the manufacturing side and actually change the way these parts are manufactured. And that's where, you know, robotics, cobots specifically, I think are, are the next wave there as well as using this software to help some of the programming aspect of how do you program these machines to make a wide variety of parts automatically, but also increase the capacity, um, and, and the capability that you can actually automate within that, right? To make it responsive. It's easy to program one thing to be made, you know, a million yeah, times yeah, CNC machines do that, but. Yeah, no, it's got to kind of work through the whole, you know, uh, start to finish process. And, and it's not easy things to do. You're, it's, you know, like you said, it, these are old, I mean, your, your industry has been, you know, we've been making stuff for a long time and it's, it hasn't had a lot of, you know, from my, from my view, hasn't, it's never really been in the public eye, but now it kind of is. And, and it's going to be interesting to see how it continues to, to, you know, make these strides of, of, of changing as, as the uh, end user changes. Um, and that, and that's another question of mine. So like, you're talking about your end users being these big, like automotive or aerospace, is there with these changes kind of ease to access? It seems like there's becoming, it's becoming like an easier access to, um, is it going to be more, more companies that on their own are going to be able to enter and, and make it manufacture some products that maybe they wouldn't have, uh, maybe even a couple of years ago, is that going to open up new markets per se? If that makes sense. Yeah. I think traditional machine shops, um, are, are going to have a difficult time, you know, as, as the technology progresses, just because of the specialization. Okay. I mean, you, you still have to specialize as a traditional machine shop. So unless you're aggregating. You know, unless yeah. you're, you're partnering with other shops that have more capabilities, the demand has to find you specifically. So one of the issues we had when we're reaching out to 12 companies, only three yeah. responded. It could be only three could actually make the part. Yeah. You know, and, and all of these little machine shops, they may have similar machines, but they've just optimized their process to do a specific type of thing within a specific volume range. 
So I, I don't see the traditional shops necessarily moving that, that direction and making that happen to serve the demand. Okay. At the same time, now that you have these scale in, in this market that you haven't really had before. I mean, you have billion dollar companies that have emerged out of nowhere in the yeah. machining space now that have the, the capacity, the bandwidth, the capital to develop technologies to actually automate the manufacturing itself and change the way these parts are manufactured, leveraging the robotics in, in one aspect, but you also have process automation. You have software to manage that internally throughout the shop. You know what? A cobot can can do like certain things. So in machining, for instance, the machine is programmed. That's kind of automation piece number one. That came yeah. maybe seventies, eighties, sometime around there. That they became CNC, so computer yep. numerical controlled machine. Um, but now you you have the tending aspect, right? Getting parts in and out of those machines um, in a responsive way. Like, how do you take it where I can automate? 10 pieces or 20 sure. pieces that need to be made rather than 10,000, 10,000 all at once. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that, that's, that's kind of this new phase, um, you know, and how do you take 10,000 different types of parts and be able to uh, automate that? So there's going to be a lot more technology that blends in there. And that's going to tie hand in hand with some of these robotics and the cobots allowing this flexible automation to take place while you're automatically programming the machines and setting it up and, I mean, internally, I mean, we're kind of discovering these processes. Um, we actually, you know, we started the company knowing really nothing about machining. We ended up <laughs> buying a machine shop, like a okay. old rundown machine shop, kind of yeah. figured out. And, you know, now we're building up our shop and we see these areas of, okay, this is where we need to automate. We need to automate the programming, the planning, uh, the systems internally, just to make sure the routing, but then machine tending. Right. I mean, moving parts in and out of machines that yeah. need to all be automated, deburring the parts. Like there shouldn't be somebody there like physically taking burrs off a part. I mean, it's it, yeah, it's kind of crazy we're doing that in you know 2021, right? Yeah. Yeah. So so there's a lot of a lot of room that'll still still be made there. Um yeah. kind of you know, and, and oh. quality control. Sorry to interrupt, but I mean no, the other yeah. piece of that really to measure the part as well, you have to automate all these different aspects of this so that. Um, you can do it in an efficient way. That's also very responsive. Sure. No, that makes sense. Um, it kind of leading me to a question, you know, we're, us being in, you know, the Milwaukee area here, you're, you're, you're out of Cedarburg, correct? Technically. Yep. So kind of yep. North side of, uh, Milwaukee, if you're not familiar with the, the city here, but Milwaukee in general, if you drive around the city ever, there's, it's a traditional machine machining shop, tons of machine shops around, right? And you see them everywhere. Do you see us as um, in Milwaukee continuing to be a part of that industry with this kind of change? I mean, you're a big part of that now, um, but where do you see the future of Milwaukee inside this? Yeah, you know, that that's hard to say. I mean, to be honest, I'm a little pessimistic because, um, you know, the, the traditional machine shop- the kind of traditional have, machine shops, right? There. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're just going to have our time. I mean, just yeah. the sense of scale and scope. I think there's going to be uh, tons of consolidation um, in the market. Sure. And I think I, I think that's going to happen faster than these companies can adapt themselves. Um, so, yeah, so I, I see sell, it being out. Uh, interesting. Yeah, that's a great take. So, well, good. Um, well, we'll kind of kind of finish up here in, in a second. I always like to ask just a couple of questions. Um, 
you know, what do you yourself find exciting? I mean, we've talked about a lot of exciting things and and you've probably already touched on them, but what do you find exciting coming in, uh, you know, the next couple of years in the industry? Yeah. Automation. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we, we got some things in the works and I mean, at the end of the day, we want to transform manufacturing, right? We want to make that ultra responsive at the fingertips. We've done some initial pieces to kind of get the foot in the door. So I have some others, but the next wave of this is going to be all the other aspects of manufacturing the part, you know, like I mentioned before, I mean, just making sure that you're organized from the job routing perspective, uh, automating as much as you can of the CNC programming ahead of time, automating the way that you're managing your tooling, your raw material, how you're cutting that material, getting that material in the machine. Um, and then once it's out of the machine or while it's still in the machine, you know, you're deburring that. So like a person doesn't have to physically touch it because it, it's not a lot of mental density involved in, you know, taking burrs off parts, right. We should be having yeah. machines to do that and then having the machines measure it. I mean, the technology is there. You really just need to put all the pieces together right now and, and being able to do that in a lot more responsive way. Um, with cobots, I mean, that, that's what really excites me is like fundamentally transforming manufacturing because what, what I discovered when we actually bought a machine and brought it in house, just having that capability at our fingertips, I mean, it changed the way we developed as a company Really, and yeah, the video companies, we bought this, you know, we couldn't buy the part. We bought the machine, we bring it in house. We went from releasing one product a year, releasing eight. It wow. just completely transformed what we were capable of because now yeah. we have this capacity right there. You know, it's at the time it was in our kitchen. <laughs> so, I mean, we have it literally in the next room over. We can go in the kitchen and we can knock out the next rev of this part to That's really hilarious. innovate a lot faster. Right. While you're cooking lunch, huh? Yeah. So like, I want to give that to everybody, but yeah. to do that, you need to really integrate and streamline all these technologies and it's all happening at once, right? This is all in the adjacent possible these robot technologies just have very intuitive user interfaces that are backed by like upgrades and sensor technology and easier developed software technology with the mechanical pieces all put together and, you know, having enough software developers in the team to really take all this technology and combine it together. I mean, we're kind of at this revolution, which they call industry 4.0. I, I don't know if I'm entirely on board with that, but okay. a revolution in manufacturing is coming and it's going to be responsive. It's going to be efficient. And I mean, robotics specifically are a part of that, a really important part, but I mean, automation as a whole, there's a lot of other pieces that are coming together all at the same time. And yeah, so yeah, and that, that's what's so interesting of the, these conversations and is, with you is, is what I'm learning, you know, um, that's why I like to go underneath the, the headlines because a lot, a lot of times the headlines in this case are like robotics because it sounds cool. The robots and, and automation, no one really knows what that means. Like, cool, we'll automate it, but what's the actual process that's going on? And you've explained that a lot. Um, so, so thank you for doing that. Um, do you think like kind of along that line, what do you think that some uh, like the general population, you know, you're in this industry every day. What do you think the general population gets wrong about your industry right now? You know, that's, uh, th- there's a lot of different opinions I think about, about <laughs> manufacturing. So, I mean, the way that I grew up, um, you know, my, my father was blue collar. Uh, my mom was, uh, you know, in, in HR, we grew up in Waukesha, which is kind of a salt of the earth town. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and I kind of had the view of like, you know, automation being this evil thing and globalization being this evil thing and like taking away jobs. Yeah. Um, so that, that's one view of it. Now you kind of have this revival of the trades where, 
you know, there's, there's a big push to getting in the trades. It's, it's a very respected uh, yeah. profession now. And I mean, we, we have four year degreed people. We hire all the time that make substantially less than the people on our shop floor. Yeah. Um, just with, with more education. I mean, the trade sure. there, there yeah. is a significant, uh, a significant financial upside. It's safer. I mean, we have a really clean shop. It's, it's a good environment to be in. So you, you kind of have this dichotomy of, you know, the way people think of these old shops, these dinosaurs, you know, this yeah. whole like outsourcing anti-automation piece and then the revival all at the same time, you know, and I think at the end of the day, I mean, stuff needs to be made. I yeah. think that's important. I think embracing of flexibility and adaptability, especially in the workforce. I mean, that's going to be so important. Whoever adapts the fastest and is flexible uh, regardless of the space you're in. I mean, just being able to move around industries, try different things and take new ideas from these different areas. I think we're kind of in a more of a, a renaissance type era that that is going to impact manufacturing. And I don't think the full extent of that is really understood. Interesting. No, that's a, that's a great answer. Um, I love it. So you're talking about, you know, I might've even kind of got you off topic about that, but, you know, looking into this industry, I've seen that term, uh, um, what do they call it industrial 4.0. Did you say, is that yeah, industry 4.0 right? industry 4.0 and, um, but it, but it really kind of makes sense to people like myself who aren't in the industry because, you know, we're, what we're really talking about, and, and if I'm hearing you, you know, you, you're disrupting an, an older industry, trying to make it more efficient and using the technology of today that wasn't really there even five to 10 years ago, but you're incorporating that now to try to make these processes um, way better, more efficient, automated, obviously, which is the term uh, um, that we're talking about. And um, it's only going to keep getting better, but there's room to go. If, if I can kind of, if I, if I, am I summing that up correctly? And, and if I, in about one sentence, does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. So well, that's great, man. Well, um, okay. So where can people find parts badger just to kind of get them to know, you know, check you guys out some more. Yeah. Uh, parts-badger.com. Parts-badger.com. Uh, no, just, just hop online. Yeah, send yeah. us a message. You can upload your parts. Uh, we have a great sales team, uh, knowledgeable. Um, happy to to help. You know, any of the the supply chain needs companies have. You know, we're really here to solve their problems. So just just hop on the website and you know Perfect. shoot us a message, give us a call. We're happy to help. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for for your insights and your experience in the industry, and and congratulations congratulations again on your success as the company. Um, sounds very awesome, and and keep it up. Great talking with you. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Thanks again for having me. I really appreciate it. High Point Capital Group is located at 1200 North Mayfair Road, Suite 300, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53226. Phone number 414-253-4600. Securities and investment advisory services offered through SagePoint Financial, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. SagePoint Financial is separately owned in other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of SagePoint Financial. Views expressed here should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned here. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal. 
Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Indexes are unmanaged and investors are not able to invest directly into any index. Sector investing may involve a greater degree of risk than investments with broader diversification. However, there is no guarantee that a diversified portfolio alone will outperform a non-diversified portfolio in any given market environment. No investment strategy, such as asset allocation, can guarantee a profit or protect against loss in periods of declining values. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, information should only be relied upon and coordinated with individual professional advice. Ryan Hitchcock believes the information presented here is accurate and was obtained from sources that are believed to be reliable. However, Ryan does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from Ryan. Statements expressed by guests on this podcast are the views of those guests only and not of Ryan Hitchcock. Statements contained in this podcast may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on Ryan Hitchcock's or guests' current views and assumptions and involve known and or unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements.